Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's the second week of July and still no state budget. That means Governor Malloy is running the state under executive order. The consequences are being felt by many, including nonprofits, which have scaled back services due to less funding. Other programs have taken a hit as well, including the state's summer youth employment program. Coming up, we'll find out how many teens, how many teens this impacts statewide. And we're going to hear from a Bloomfield teen on the options left for him. But first, business and political leaders know Oz Griebel. For more than 16 years, he's led the Metro Hartford Alliance. It's a group focused on boosting investment to the region. But Griebel has announced he'll step down from the job at the end of this year. We wanted to know more about his decision and about the future of the Metro Hartford Alliance. What's it like working to sell the capital city in the region at a time when scrutiny of Connecticut continues to grow? Now, were you one of the many residents sharing that recent Atlantic piece? titled, What on Earth is Wrong with Connecticut? on your Facebook wall. Well, Griebel's here with us in studio. We want to hear from you, too. Join the conversation this hour, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at wmpr.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. Uh, Oz Griebel, welcome to, our, welcome to the show. Delighted to be here, Lucy. Thanks for having me. So I understand Oz was not your given name at birth. It's actually <laughs> Richard Griebel. Right. Well, my middle name is Nelson, so those who go back to the 50s and 60s, the Ozzie and Harriet Nelson show is where that uh, that high school nickname started. certainly has a ring to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, uh, we're talking about um, the Metro Hartford Alliance, a, a, a group that you have led for more than 16 years. For our listeners who are unfamiliar with this organization, tell us about your, your purpose. Well, the purpose of the mission statement uh, of the uh, alliance is to see that this region competes, and that's the word we emphasize, that we're competing aggressively and successfully for jobs, for capital, and for talent. And the region is defined pretty much as the 39 towns in the, in the uh, Krog uh, definition of, of, the, uh, of the region. But when you look at uh, how small the state is, we are interacting with a lot of other, uh, many other towns and many other organizations in the state. Uh, the goal by uh, competing for jobs, capital, and talent is to ensure that this very high quality of life that we have um, remains that way and that we, may, we remain a premier place, the state as a whole in this region, uh, for all, pe- all people. And again, to emphasize that word, all people to live, play, work, start a business, and raise a family. That's our mission. We've been at it for 16 years, and our history is that we took uh, a number of leaders back in the late 90s, took the, uh, the then 200-year-old uh, Chamber of Commerce and a uh, economic development agency that had been spun out of it and put it back together again in mm-hmm. 2001. So you became the president CEO at, at the inception. Correct. What's it been like for you these last 16 years? How have you seen your job and, and the mission of the alliance change, if at all? Well, a number of things that have been added, uh, obviously with the support of a number, many, many people, our investors foremost, our board of directors, and a very talented group of folks who work at the Alliance. And so things like hype uh, started almost 11 years ago, Hartford Young Professionals and Entrepreneurs. Uh, the better part of 15 years ago, we launched the Connecticut Insurance and Financial Services Cluster. Uh, more recently, we've launched the Connecticut Health Council and uh, Innovation Destination Hartford, which focuses on the entrepreneurial ecosystem. So there are a number of specific initiatives uh, out there. At the same time, we've worked closely with uh, DECD, uh, with uh, all three administrations, obviously, including Governor Malloy. 
Illinois, Catherine Smith there, uh, along with the mayors of the city of Hartford uh, and the, and the uh, political leaders in other towns to promote this region, uh, specifically specifically the region and the state overall, as a place in which uh, an entity should uh, expand if they're already here, retain the jobs that they're here, or relocate here and add jobs. So it's a... Uh, it, the, the ebbing and flowing of the economy obviously has had an impact on what we've done, but we've stayed true to those that mission and to those specific initiatives to, again, make this region very appealing to the private sector. Now, you mentioned hype, uh, young professionals. When I think of this, I think of the millennials, the people that Connecticut wants to draw here right. and keep here. What do these young professionals tell Metro Hartford Alliance about uh, the things that are missing? Because we hear so often about meaning more investment in our cities. Well, it's, sometimes, it's very difficult to come up with, I think, broad generalizations of, about what people want. But I would start with the most basic, and that is people want jobs. They want the opportunity to uh, take care of themselves, take care of their families, uh, to grow, not just jobs that make uh, keep them uh, maybe the shirt on their back for a period of time, but the opportunity to grow, to become more successful, to own a home, uh, to do the things that uh, I think every individual wants. I don't care whether you're a millennial or you're someone in their 60s or 70s. You want that ability to have uh, uh, to, to contribute and to have the financial wherewithal to do the things that you want. I, th- rem- I believe that remains primary for everyone. Now, Many people will talk about the uh, need for uh, urban development, uh, and I, I think that when you go back, uh, all the way back to the late 90s, uh, when Governor Rowland uh, was in office, uh, Tom Ritter was Speaker of the House, Mike Peters was Mayor of the City, you go back to that period right through Governor Malloy's tenure, now um, the city of Hartford, um, I think, is, is dramatically different than it was before. So there's been a lot that has gone on in the city. If you go down to New Haven and the leadership uh, that uh, Bruce Alexander, as part of the president's office down there in terms of renovating the city, of uh, expanding retail operations and opportunities in the city. We, we have very dynamic, uh, very dynamic urban areas, in, in my opinion. What we don't have is concentration, and we're three and a half million, three point six million people. Uh, we're really, but we're scattered from the Enfield, Suffield, uh, up on the border in Massachusetts, all the way down to the Greenwich, uh, Stanford area on the New York border, and then going east and west. So that three and a, that three point six million people is not concentrated in a neighborhood or in a borough like you would find in New York or parts of Boston. So the idea of connectivity is important. Uh, At the same time, we want to be sure that we're emphasizing the great quality of life we have in our suburbs, uh, because that is an important part uh, to everybody if you you want uh, uh, differential in what uh, uh, differences in what you have to offer in terms of residential life. So all these things are part of making sure we do a, a hard analysis of what we're missing, but that we're also promoting the great asset base that we have here in Connecticut. Let's talk about uh, the advantages of living here. I did reference that the latest article that come out um, from a national publication uh, looking at perceptions of Connecticut, what's right. broken. It's just the drumbeat of negativity. What about this community? I mean, you were someone who worked in, and lived in Boston. You right. came to Connecticut. Right. What about this community will keep people here? And the people that say they are leaving, how do you keep them here? Well, on the, on the front end of that question, uh, why I came, and I think this is the reason was you had an op- First of all, it was an opportunity they had to be when I was transferred down here by what was then Bank of Boston. Uh, but look, the more I stayed here, the more you realize that this is a great state and a great region in which one can make a difference. And when you talk to millennials, um, and, and when, uh, however you want to define a millennial, I take that all the way up to people in their 30s and early 40s, 
Uh, many people want to be in an area where they can make a difference, uh, whether that's in their volunteer activity, whether that's being involved in civic discourse, running for political office. Um, the state offers tremendous uh, opportunities either in local, in the individual towns, uh, the various organizations we have. And that's an important thing to a lot of people to say, yes, I have my job and I need that's an important part of my life to keep my, my family uh, on, uh, keeping a roof over our heads and food on the table and having opportunities for education, but that sense of belonging, that sense of contributing beyond what I'm doing in, the, in a, a, during the 40-hour uh, or 50-hour work week I have is a very important uh, element. So I think that's a, a great issue. The fact that you're between Boston and New York uh, is a great asset. Um, your proximity to both is is easy. Your easy access up into the uh, Berkshires and into Western Massachusetts and what you have there, and then down on the shoreline. It's got a great uh, sense of both that, that ability, that opportunity to contribute, but also your opportunities for a, a number of things that are really important in your quality of life, whether they be in Hartford, New Haven, whether that be in Boston or New York, along the shorelines or in the mountains. You talked about the advantages, but let's talk about what's broken. We hear sure. often that uh, businesses feel like they just don't have confidence uh, in right. um, the climate here in Connecticut. What are your members telling you? It's, it's, it's exactly that. We've said for, uh, for a long time that the single biggest challenge that we're facing collectively is uh, that lack of private sector confidence in the, the state overall, and whether that be state budgets, municipal budgets, certainly the, uh, the legacy issues that we have and unfunded liabilities both at the state and, and, uh, and municipal levels, the, the challenge that the city of Hartford for right now, for example, is facing um, is, is clearly an issue, and, and we don't ever put our heads in the sands on this. The fact that we couldn't uh, put the legislatures over almost uh, 20 years now have not put definitions in the constitutional spending cap. Uh, causes a lot of problems. When you look at the issues we're facing here today, some of them go back to the years when we were having surpluses in the late 90s and early part of the last decade when uh, the spending cap uh, language required that uh, surpluses would go into specifically unf into the pension fund itself, uh, to the rainy day fund, or paying down debt. Um, I, the numbers roughly were about $5.5 over a three- or four-year uh, budget cycle, a big chunk of that went into projects, and only about a billion five went into those three areas. So predictability is a word you hear a lot of. Governor Malloy mentioned predictability in his budget address back in February, and I think that's a, it's a, an important thing to focus on because while tax rates uh, and specific taxes impact people's individuals' views as well as uh, uh, private entities' views, business views, the predictability is almost more important than uh, the rates. It's that idea of not being able to balance a budget. Uh, balancing a budget by increasing taxes or in instituting new taxes is what really uh, stymies private sector confidence. Is one, obviously, that the governor is focused on in this current budget as we're trying to wrestle this budget to ground over the next uh, couple of weeks. I'm speaking with Oz Griebel, president and CEO of the Metro Hartford Alliance. You're listening to Where We Live here on WNPR. Uh, Mr. Griebel is leaving his post at the end of the year after m more than 16 years of, of heading up the alliance. Um, you have been a, a candidate in the past. Are you interested in running for governor? Well, in the, in the short term, my focus is on the alliance. I have a responsibility to do, do that. I, have, I don't have any specific plans, and as I, I've said to many people, I think that running for office is certainly an option. I did it once before. I enjoyed the campaign concept. But being involved, whether it's through elected office or other ways of helping uh, and collaborating with uh, the many people in the state who are, who are serious and dedicated to resolving the problems, to me, is the most important thing to, that I'll be looking at as we go uh, as I get closer to the end of the year. 
You um, obviously understand uh, the economic challenges. You know a lot of, of people in the community. Um, I mean, do you want to be part of the solution by running? Well, whether I run or not, I think I want to be part of the solution. Um, and that, that to me, is uh, the most important thing uh, because whether you run, uh, you, if, you run, if one runs, to state the obvious, one is not guaranteed to win. Uh, so to me, whether it's uh, running for office, uh, which I'll certainly look at, uh, it's really staying involved in a meaningful way uh, to build off and continue to work with uh, a number of folks in this state, many, many folks in the state, as I said a minute ago, who are dedicated to resolving uh, our, our challenges. It's also about promoting what we have. I, I do want to keep emphasizing that this is always a balancing act and making sure that we don't let the negativity overwhelm us. Um, uh, at the same time, you don't want to put your head in the sand and pretend that there, are not, there aren't issues. But we are in a very strong position in the state. Uh, the foundation of our assets is strong. They're under, they're under attack like they are in many other states. We're not unique in the fiscal challenges that we're facing. The city of Hartford's not unique in the fiscal challenges it's facing. Uh, greater collaboration among all of us, uh, I, uh, whether they're organizations or individuals, uh, greater collaboration, sustained collaboration between the private sector and the public sector is absolutely uh, critical, and I look forward to continuing to p- play a role in that as I go forward. Um, a lot of attention uh, when GE uh, left Connecticut for Boston uh, recently. Uh, Aetna's headquarters will be relocating right. to Manhattan. How does that put pressure on the work that you're doing? And again, when you say there's a lot of uh, attention on the negative, and I've also uh, said this earlier, but how do you get people's minds off that to work together to get more people at the table to try to figure out, well, how can we move this region forward? That's a, it's a great question, and it's one that we certainly at the Alliance uh, try to implement every day, whether that's working with the towns here in the, 30, the 39 towns in the region. Uh, m- most of what we've done, and uh, I hope over time this can be expanded, is working with the private sector itself here, uh, the travelers of the world, the Aetnas, the Hartfords, uh, the major employers, as well as uh, private, the number of privately held uh, entities we have here in the state. It's a great, uh, one of our great strengths is not just the major publicly traded companies that are here, uh, but also the many family-owned business, third and fourth generations uh, entities that are here that are critical and employ anywhere from 50 to 500 people uh, that sometimes don't pick up the same, don't have the same focus or the same uh, uh, publicity around how important they are is 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 critical. So getting uh, our organization to work together on public policy matters, whether it's or putting together things like hype and the health council and the cluster is all what we've done. And I, ideally, over time, that kind of thing will occur where organizations like ours continue to work closely with the other metro chambers, with CBIA, so that we're promoting a uh, an environment that is going to attract private sector capital. Uh, private sector employment and uh, and and make this an area that as go back to the f- first part of this conversation, a place where anybody, uh, whether you're graduating from school today or you're in your 60s, if you want to work, you've got an opportunity to do that. Uh, today we're talking with Oz Griebel again, President and CEO of the Metro Hartford Alliance. It's an organization committed to economic development of the capital city in the region. Um, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I wanted to take a call before we head to break. Uh, Mary's calling from Hartford. Mary, you're on the show. Hi. You know, the green economy for environmental good has been an example of innovative growth. It's flourished in so many progressive cities across America, especially during the Obama years when there was support for urban waters and urban environments. Uh, why is Hartford and, and the municipal leadership, uh, during, especially during the past eight to ten years, resisted support for green jobs 
uh, for the green economy. This often started um, with, with small nonprofits, with individuals, maybe not millennials, um, especially given Hartford and Connecticut's heritage of parks, of the Connecticut River, of the home of, of, uh, of the native uh, Frederick Law Olmsted. All right, Mary, thank you for your, call, your question. Uh, well, I would, uh, with all due respect to Mary, categorically reject the idea that re- people have resisted this and point out to things like uh, riverfront recapture, uh, which goes back to almost 30 years now and how important the park system there is, uh, the effort that's gone on underway in terms of keeping the Connecticut River clean that goes back over 40 years, the work that the MDC is doing on that, the renovation of Keeney Park re- recently, the iQuilt initiative uh, that started almost 10 years ago under the leadership of the Bushnell and Doug Seussman coming in and renovating uh, all the uh, walking space around Bushnell Park. Um, I'm sure we're not perfect, but I would say there's been a tremendous focus on understanding Understanding the importance of, I don't know what the green economy specifically means, but the idea of having uh, clean air, clean water, vibrant cities, how they all fit together, I think has been part and parcel of, of, of several agendas, both three governors as well as uh, uh, the, all, all the mayors that have been in office since I've been here. A lot can continue to be done, but I think there's a tremendous focus on how important parks and clean water and clean air are to the quality of life and ultimately how important that is to the private sector to want to invest here because if you're not going to have a quality environment for for employees, uh, private sector isn't going to stay here or expand here. Uh, You mentioned IQUIL. I just wanted to ask you with uh, the city's financial problems, um, a lot of those plans, and I believe you helped work on some of that, um, how... How um, delayed will some of those initiatives be? Well, uh, a big chunk of, of the original iQuilt initiative around the Tiger Grant uh, that was put in place almost six or seven years ago, all that work around the park, uh, a lot of that has is done. Um, and so it's a great, if you the, the, uh, the straightening of Gold Street and, and that linkage, what Travelers has done with its plaza, uh, outside of the uh, outside of the tower, what Phoenix did in renovating the uh, space around uh, around its building about five years ago. There's a tremendous uh, different looking uh, city in that in that that part of uh, uh, that part of downtown. Uh, you've got the work on Albany Avenue starting. The streetscape uh, is underway now. I believe all the funding, at least for that part of the streetscape, is is locked in. There's no question that um, every entity, whether it's uh, federal, state, or local is going to face, faces today significant, we as a country face significant uh, challenges to our infrastructure. And whether that's repairing the infrastructure or doing something new, uh, whether that's additional train service, whether it's streetscapes uh, like Albany Avenue, whether that's the repair or replacement of I-84, all those things are facing significant fiscal challenges. And so you've got the Trump administration talking about what it's going to do or not going to do on infrastructure investment. We've got uh, Governor Malloy has led a strong uh, focus in the last, uh, in both, during both of his terms, uh, along with Jim Redeker, the commissioner of DOT, about how, how what we need to do in the transportation area and what we need to do on funding. Uh, for that. So these are debates and questions that have gone on, and we have to all stay engaged to make sure that we do have a funding source, that when federal money is available, we can match it, or when we're taking on initiatives on our own in the city or the region that we're able to fund them. That's a critical uh, issue for all of us to deal with. This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Uh, we're speaking with the president and CEO of the Metro Hartford Alliance. He's stepping down from that job at the end of this year, but we wanted to get his take on, on how to um, continue to grow this region and a city when there's a lot of scrutiny and perception, uh, negative perception of Connecticut these days. After the break, 
we're going to ask Oz Griebel about his reaction to Hartford exploring bankruptcy. And we'll take more of your calls, too. What does the private sector need to see and hear to restore confidence in the capital and the region? Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The Metro Hartford Alliance focuses on economic development in the capital city and its region. In studio with us today is the organization's president and CEO, Oz Griebel. He's stepping down from the job at the end of this year after more than 16 years. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I wanted to ask you, Oz, about uh, news that Hartford is exploring um, filing for bankruptcy. What would that mean for the region? First, let me just uh, emphasize uh, the great respect that we have for Mayor Bronin and uh, not only the candor, uh, candor, candid analysis that he's uh, put forth from the time he took office, even during the campaign of, of uh, prior to that, uh, and the number of very talented people he's brought in. Uh, there's a lot of activity going on in the city, and I'm not able to answer the question of bankruptcy, but I do want to be sure that we're focused on the growth in the city. I mentioned some of the things that how downtown is different today on the riverfront recapture side. You've got more housing units that we, that's going back to that 99-2000 period. Governor Malloy and CERTA, uh, the Capital Region Development Authority under Suzanne Hopgood and Mike Freemuth, have taken a big lead on that. You've got the Yukon campus moving downtown, and while the the financing of the stadium uh, is a challenge, the fact that you've got a double A AA ball club down here now and it's creating a, a certain buzz is significant. So one of the things as we're as we're as the mayor, city council, uh, and and those of us in the private sector have looked at the challenges of the city's facing. It's been on that basis that a lot of good things are going on in the city. So how do we create? Uh, the structural reform uh, that is needed to give not only the private sector confidence that um, the uh, that the city has its fiscal house in order and it's worth putting time in here, but at the same time, uh, actions that are needed to take the mill rate down. Because the single most important thing you'll be able to generate private sector confidence will be uh, a projected steady decline in that 74, 75 mill rate down to something that's much more uh, competitive. So with all that in mind, uh, the mayor last year uh, uh, sought uh, essentially some state protections um, that would have allowed, uh, was under Senate bill, I think it was number 464, uh, where he was looking for additional authority to address some of the issues both on the union side, uh, union negotiations and otherwise. Um, that bill was did not, did not uh, get passed, and so there's been a series of discussions that he's led, obviously, on additional state financing and uh, potential state takeover or something along those lines. And then ultimately, if the, if the uh, budget is, there's, there is no budget or budget continues to go out, the state budget continues to be go um, un, unadopted for a period of time or there's uh, not significant financial issues in there, I think the mayor is doing and has been doing from the beginning a very thoughtful, deliberate approach to what the options are. And right now, these options are be, are shrinking dramatically to, um, to to at least bankruptcy being on the table, the engagement of... Uh, of a law firm with uh, with restructuring and legal experience is important. I think the single most important thing about um, whatever the next set of actions are is that it be done in strong collaboration between uh, the mayor, obviously the state, and the private sector. So you have Aetna, the Hartford, and Travelers making a uh, commitment of up to $10 million a year for five years if certain structural, uh, comprehensive and structural, sustainable uh, structural reform occurs. 
I think the idea that if bankruptcy has to be pursued, um, then there has to be a, a plan in place that has all the relevant parties together. Simply going and filing for bankruptcy, uh, we've been very clear on this. That makes no sense to us because of the uncertainty that goes goes with the bankruptcy filing, the costs associated with it. But if we're joined at the hip and, uh, and, and all the parties are allowed to get, yes, this is the reset button that we need to hit uh, for Hartford, I, then I think bankruptcy, notwithstanding some of the serious concerns about public relations issues, that if it's done in a, in a partnership with all the relevant parties, that may be the one way we can go to begin to s- attain that structural reform that we know we need in Hartford. And oh, by the way, there are a number of other municipalities that are going to be mm-hmm. in similar situations in the in the near term for similar reasons. But you mentioned uh, the public relations disaster right. going into bankruptcy would be. I mean, that would deflate any kind of momentum trying to get businesses to come here. No, I I, I think that's why I'll just emphasize again. It's one thing for uh, the mayor on his own, for if you would, or the city council together to go and file for bankruptcy as opposed to, uh, if you imagine the hypothetical press conference when this occurs, that's surrounding the mayor and the governor and whoever else is at this hypothetical press conference, you have the leaders of this of this region uh, in, the, in the city, both on the private sector side, uh, as well as those who are important civic leaders in the area. So it's, it's important that, that what we do, whatever we do, it be done in a collaborative way. It's, uh, somebody said to me one time that it's kind of a situation where you, every ox has to be gored equally, and there's a little bit, there is going to be sacrifice here. No, no matter, we're already in a very, the sacrifices are already being uh, absorbed by residents, uh, by, by others. I mean, you're, I know you're going to have discussion around summer jobs, which impact not just Hartford. So there's a series of, of sacrifices that are already being made, but being but taking the aggressive uh, step uh, leveraging the uh, significant intellectual talent we have here in the city, the significant financial resources that we have, doing that together is, is critical. However, wh- whatever the next step is to solving uh, Hartford's problem, it, it happens to be. We've had Mayor Bronin on the show before uh, when he was doing this tour of the suburbs, right. talking about why there needs to be a greater um, investment and support of, of the capital city. Um, you know that suburbs, some of the suburbs are resistant to that. They feel like you know Hartford gets a lot of support and it hasn't been used wisely. Well, uh, again, uh, the, the issues when you when you have the municip- reductions in municipal aid, the type that everybody is facing, it's good, it's very difficult to put your hand up either as a legislator or as a uh, elected official in your town and say, oh, by the way, not only are we going to take a cut uh, and have to raise our own property taxes, we're, we're willing to put some additional monies into one given area, one uh, other municipalities. I mean, I think politically, it's extraordinarily difficult to imagine anybody. Uh, who's in that situation raising their hand to do that. There are issues that we need to deal with at the state level uh, that have an impact on the municipalities. There's issues, I think, that we have to deal with at the regional level. The whole notion of, uh, of, of, of greater regional integration of services has been on the table for all the 25 years I've been here. We've made marginal progress on it. Under the theory that you don't want to let a good crisis go to waste, this might be the type of fiscal environment. First of all, I think people are talking about things on a regional basis more so in the last two years than I've heard in the prior uh, 20. And what that, how that plays out over the next not only this budget cycle, but more importantly the future, but the, the budget cycles after that starting in, in, uh, after the 2018 election, I think are going to be very important as to how do we go about in a uh, in a state this small, uh, notwithstanding the great pride we all have in local government, how do we uh, work together more effectively so that 
services can be shared, property taxes can be controlled in all the municipalities, and we can get the quality in, of services that in all of our areas that we, uh, that we all want. So you're saying, um, given the, the budget crisis that the state and the city are facing, this could be the catalyst or the towns are seriously going to be thinking about regionalization? Yeah, I, I want to be You know, regionalization is one of those words uh, that you get. If you ask five people what their definition is, you'll probably get 10 different definitions. I think the notion in the most simplistic way is when you look at the amount of tax dollars, state and property tax dollars that go into municipal services, you have to ask the question as an elected official, as a resident of a town, are we doing this in the most efficient way possible? Are we using the dollars that we all pay individually and through business taxes in the most efficient way so that the, both the quality of services and the cost of the services are done in the most practical, uh, practical approach? And I think, as I said a second ago, there's more conversation along these lines without necessarily specificity uh, than, than I've heard before. And I think it does open up a, a, uh, an opportunity to have more serious specific discussions as we go forward. I wanted to talk more about transportation because when we look at the region, I mean, anyone who talks about rush hour um, leaving Hartford or when you're over on uh, I-84 West, how there's so much gridlock. I mean, you sat on uh, the governor's, uh, Governor Malloy's transportation finance panel. You were chair of the transportation strategy board until 2006. Um, You mentioned funding can be problematic. So how do we get a solution where we have less cars on the road? Uh, Mary had called earlier talking more about <laughs> investment uh, and, you know, green infrastructure. And I'm just curious what the plan could be for this region that, that is facing gridlock. Well, a couple things. One is that there, it's not as if nothing has been done. And I'll just point to Connecticut Fast Track is one of those examples um, that was hotly, hotly debated topic. Uh, Governor Malloy made the decision uh, early in his administration to move forward with that project. And um, I don't have the statistics there, but clearly the idea of linking uh, New Britain and Hartford over that a nine-mile stretch uh, provides an option that we didn't have before. I think under Jim Redeker's leadership and his team, there's much more integration of bus service now. So Connecticut Fast Track isn't just that nine-mile stretch, but really is the whole bus service options that are there. It's, this is not an area uh, that, that is used to mass transit, though. We don't have mass transit uh, in our DNA the way you would see in other major urban, urban areas. And you don't have a subway option or other fixed rail along those lines. So the bus service is the one uh, thing we offer, and yet there, I would say that, and I'm clearly in this category, no one wants to give up their independence when it comes to their commute. I want to leave my house when I want to leave my house, and I want to leave my my job when I want to leave my job, and I really don't want to be bothered with all these schedules. I think the fact that there's been more aggressive marketing uh, by DOT on this is, is helpful. On the funding side, uh, hats off to a number of people uh, at, in the legislature, to Governor Malloy, for suggesting we have to look at the funding options because uh, no matter what we want to do here in terms of either repairing road systems, and you, you cannot take your eye off the fact that roads are still the primary way we get around in, in Connecticut, whether we're repairing roads, uh, having some kind of expansion, replacement of I-84 to uh, pro- maybe provide some additional space in the city of Hartford if you use either the current DOT plan or the, uh, uh, the concept that Congressman Larson has put forward. Those are all going to require money. Most of it's 80-20, 80 
80 percent uh, dollars uh, coming from the federal government, 20 percent match. So if you're looking at a five, just picking numbers out of the air, if you're looking at a five billion dollar project, whatever that is, uh, we in the state of Connecticut, we as taxpayers have to come up with a billion dollars. And when you have a decline in the gasoline tax, uh, that the the amount of, of gasoline tax that's collected, in part because we are moving as a country uh, to more green economy, more hybrid engines and the like, maybe not as fast as some would like, but nonetheless, that's where the world is headed. Uh, and has been headed for a while, then where is that funding source going to come from? Whether it's electronic tolling, uh, whether it's the idea of vehicle miles traveled, we're going to have to use technology to do that. And I understand the resistance, um, but I also think that there's there's almost a um, theological opposition to, to some of these issues because they're not politically palatable. And yes, can DOT be more efficient? I'm sure they can be. Can we, uh, can we continue to um, look at other uh, ways of creating uh, funding sources? But there are some fundamental questions uh, that we're beginning to wrestle with in this current session uh, over the last couple of sessions that came very close to passing in this, in this current budget session. That c- they're going to have to continue to be on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, on the drawing board if we're going to be able to fund whatever transportation improvements we think are appropriate. You mentioned tolls. Is that something <laughs> that Connecticut should seriously consider? It was brought up a few times this session. We've, uh, going back to the Transportation Strategy Board in the early part of last decade, we've all, the, those, those folks with whom I've worked have said that electronic tolls have to be looked at. And I want to keep emphasizing electronic tolls. Uh, if you're anybody who's traveled the Mass Turnpike over the last, uh, you know, however long you've traveled it, but in most recent uh, time, when you now get on the Turnpike, you've got all the overhead readers, uh, that awful, uh, that awful uh, gridlock that used to occur at uh, the intersection of 128 and uh, and the turnpike, while it's still going to be there, is definitely uh, eased out. So there are technologies today that some people are concerned about the Big Brother aspect of uh, of Easy Pass and others, but that's the reality that we're that we're living in. And the fact that you can have uh, flexible control over the tolls, you, know, you may toll uh, at a higher amount during rush hour versus that. So you cause people to go at different times of the day. So every day I've gone in at 8 o'clock in the morning and leave at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. But gee, now we're going to put electronic tolls in and it's going to be cheaper for me to go in at 10 and leave at 7 or go in at 6 in the morning and leave at 3. You may change your patterns both in terms of the impact that has on the climate, less people being stalled in congestion and others. So this all has to be part of the uh, of the discussion, and it is part of the discussion. Getting it implemented is what uh, I believe needs to be done at some point in the future. Otherwise, we will face that the fact that our special transportation fund will be effectively out of money uh, sooner rather than later. We're almost out of time. Uh, Oz Griebel, again, he's uh, president and CEO of the Metro Hartford Alliance. Uh, for more than 16 years, he's leaving the post at the end of the year. Um, I wanted to just ask you again, just to go back to the fact that the state, uh, the General Assembly has yet to pass a budget. How problematic is that for uh, the private sector when they see that the, the state lawmakers are still having trouble uh, trying to get their fiscal house in order? I don't, I don't. I would just go back to the comment I made earlier about private sector confidence and the idea of predictability um, uh, is, is to me, however you want to, however broadly you want to define that, in, in the most simplistic terms, the idea that people can see that there is a process that will come to a come to a conclusion, that the funding needed to to support the services is predictable in terms of the types of taxes and the rates at which those uh, taxes are implemented are, are absolutely critical. And I, I do believe that um, there are so many people in this state. I've, I've said uh, many times uh, that the greatest asset we have in this state is the intellectual capital we have. The extraordinary number of, of people 
who are bright, innovative, uh, willing to collaborate, uh, committed to the state of Connecticut. Not everybody is leaving the state of Connecticut. Um, there are many people who want to stay here, and I think the more that we can work together to address these issues uh, collaboratively, the better off that we're that we're going to be. And certainly at, at the alliance, we've had we've had the benefit of an awful lot of smart people leading the organization. Romney Iyer, who at the time was the CEO of the Hartford, was our chair, our first chair. We've been blessed with a number of chairs, uh, very capable people who've succeeded Romney. Andy Bissett at Travelers is coming back into that role, having served as chair back in the 06 to 08 period. So uh, the idea of where do we, where does the alliance play its role in, in that, in pulling people together uh, so that we take full advantage of the intellectual capital and the, and the great sense of, uh, of uh, what I'll call a moral imperative to do the right thing uh, for all the residents here is a, is, is a combination of resources, a combination of, uh, of attributes that we want to fully leverage. And I'm, I know that the alliance will continue to do that um, as we go forward, and I look forward to playing an appropriate role in another, in another venue to also help in that way. Uh, one more. We often hear from small business owners. They don't feel like the state of Connecticut is doing enough to help them. Obviously, the, the big push to get uh, bigger companies, uh, corporations to, to stay here and to come to Connecticut. Uh, what can the state do better to help small business owners around the state? Well, there's been a very robust uh, uh, small loan, pro- loan program for small businesses that DECD oversees uh, under, uh, under Governor Malloy's uh, uh, leadership. Uh, so you've had that certainly over the last uh, seven or eight years. You've had uh, a greater focus under Connecticut. Connecticut Innovations and CT Next to uh, uh, spur innovation and entrepreneurship. So the recent uh, award to the East Hartford, Hartford uh, application for uh, innovation places, um, the $2 million that will come into this group. Again, different people, come, different entities coming together to work um, to create an environment for uh, startups and second stage companies. I don't think there's a single organization, the Alliance and, uh, and other chamber and other similar organizations that isn't focused on this whole area of stage two companies and um, and startups. I think there's a lot going on. I do think that small business, like larger businesses, publicly traded businesses, also have concern about the predictability and state budget, what changes will occur. So while it's a little different uh, from a larger, uh, larger employer publicly traded uh, standpoint, I think this, the issues that any private sector entity faces, whether it be business, hospitals, large, small, uh, are the same. And the more that we can, as I said, work together to resolve the problem, the fiscal issues, have a, knowing that these, these, these resolutions are going to probably take a decade in many cases, but you're laying a, a plan out that people can see where we're going, both at the city and municipal level, uh, is, absolutely, is absolutely critical for entities of all sizes. Oz Griebel, president and CEO of the Metro Hartford Alliance, again until December when he steps down from the post after 16 years. I have to ask, Oz, you're not moving to Florida in December. Right? Oh, I'm staying here. I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those people's not getting, I'm, I'm with Connecticut all the way. Good to hear. Thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Coming up, state budget troubles hit a program meant to pair teens up with summer jobs. We'll hear more after the break. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Summertime means summer jobs for teens, but for some Connecticut youth who had jobs lined up through a state program, they've recently received news those jobs have fallen through. 
What's the impact? To tell us more, we're joined in studio now by Jim Boucher, Chief Strategic Officer at Capital Workforce Partners. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lucy. I'll just get a little closer to the mic so our sure. listeners can hear you, Jim. Uh, before I ask you a little bit more about the summer employment program, uh, tell us about Capital Workforce Partners and what you do. Sure. So we're the state's uh, regional workforce development board in North Central Connecticut. And Capital Workforce Partners, we help individuals overcome barriers to employment, and we close the gap between skills and business hiring needs. So for youth employment, it's a critical program where we're trying to make sure that young people have all the opportunities to get into career pathways that are needed for employers uh, in the region and the state. So you say north central region, so Hartford and then how many towns? About 37 municipalities in the capital region. We invited you on to talk about the state summer youth employment program. Tell us about how long this program has existed and exactly what kind of jobs these teens are paired up with. Sure. So the summer youth employment and learning program has existed probably for at least three decades or more. And uh, generally speaking, it is um, the main opportunity for many young people, particularly in distressed communities who have challenges finding uh, job opportunities in their communities, uh, to get summer employment, which is usually about 120 hours uh, throughout the summer. And it provides a significant amount of uh, work experiences that young people might not ordinarily get. Um, we're finding that youth unemployment can be as high as 40 to 45 percent in many of the distressed communities. And so they're really, this is an opportunity to, for young people to get future success um, opportunities and structure. When you talk about these jobs, what kind of jobs? So it ranges both pub public and private uh, sector. So generally, young people are placed on work sites where they have adult mentors and supervisors. And it can range anywhere on the private sector side from healthcare to uh, retail to um, a number of other opportunities. We're even now looking at advanced manufacturing where some young people are getting um, some exposure to, which is critical for the state. And then on the nonprofit side, we have a number of programs that really are looking at young people who become youth development uh, specialists and working with other young people at uh, camps and other programs. So when we see a loss in summer jobs, it also has an impact both on the business community and also on nonprofits who are looking for additional capacity to support youth activity during the summer. So I understand traditionally the state funded about five, five and a half million dollars statewide for this program. I think the the governor's proposal was to half that. Uh, and so now that there's no budget, how many teens are we talking about that aren't going to be able to work, Jim? So in the, in the region, um, that's probably about 400 young people that will not have opportunities this summer because there has not yet been a budget passed. Um, in Hartford itself, we still have about 600 young people that will be supported through both the city of Hartford, where the mayor and city council has put a million dollars forward, and also the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving provided um, about $405,000, $406,000 for supports. So regionally, um, the biggest challenge is that many of the municipalities outside of Hartford only have the state dollars for some youth employment programs. So we're seeing programs canceled throughout the region. And in the city of Harvard, we have a reduced program. Statewide, that also probably equals about anywhere about 1,000 to 1,500 young people who will not have summer jobs unless something um, immediate happens. Uh, one of those young people is Kamai Harris. He lives in Bloomfield. He's 16 years old, and he's on the phone with us now. Kamai, welcome to the show. 
Oh, well, thank you. So tell us a little bit about you and what job were you slated to have through the Summer Youth Employment Program? Um, well, I'm a, well, I'm going into my senior year at age 16, and um, I was working with the Center for Latino Progress last year. And, um, and what were you doing for the Center for Latino Progress last year, Kamai? I was um, making code. Well, I was learning how to code, um, code for apps using MIT App Inventor, and then like that was one half of the day. And then for the second half, we like um, our instructor had taught us how to budget like daily um, life things and um, save for college. And you were supposed to have a job this summer. When did you hear that that was not going to happen? And was that uh, where would where would you have worked? Huh? Kamai, you said that um, you had you were slated to have a job this summer. So where were you going to work? And when did you hear that that wasn't going to happen? Oh, um, I heard that that wasn't going to happen last week, and I was going to work at the um, the same the same. I don't know what it's called, but I was going to look at like the same place I worked last year, mm-hmm. the Center for Latino Progress. Mm-hmm. So what happens now? Are you going to try to find work somewhere else, and what kind of jobs are out there for you, Kamai? Well, I was, I was going, I'm still going to apply for different jobs, but now I'm just, um, I'm still going to participate in the program, but I'm just not going to get paid for it because, you know, I want to still get a learning aspect from it. So we're hearing, Jim, that uh, Kamai is learning some skills that you wouldn't necessarily learn at a Dunkin' Donuts, coding, uh, learning about how to budget. Um, These are skills that um, these students, again, wouldn't be learning at typical jobs. I mean, can you talk more about the impact of of people like on Kamai? Yeah, I think um, Kamai speaks really well to the importance of having this kind of opportunity. So a lot of young people are gaining, you know, sort of what we would also refer as career preparation, work readiness, uh, but also specific skills needed uh, by uh, industry in the area. And I think um, one of the things that is happening is of interest, I think, is that both the the governor, the legislature, local leaders, and foundations see the importance of this program. And this was, um, I believe, actually in everyone's budget, but not having a budget passed is now um, leading to this. Um, but we also see the importance of adult mentors, and often these jobs will last beyond, you know, even the summer and into the future. And other skills like customer services, um, in this case, computer literacy, financial literacy, all of those are critical for the future talent pipeline. I know you had Oz Griebel on a few minutes ago, and, you know, we literally have thousands of job openings in the region right now that require a talented uh, workforce. And so these summer jobs really lead to supporting those businesses, getting those job openings filled. And so this is a critical also economic development for the long-term future for uh, business and industry, as well as we know summer jobs lead to the future success of young people in their post-secondary experience and then gaining a job.
Kamai says that he'll still be able to be at the Center for Latino Progress, but just not get paid. What about some of the other teens who are, you know, they need that paycheck, whether to help save for college or maybe help their family? Um, You know, where, how does that impact them when, you know, a lot of the service jobs out there um, are taken by college students and even older adults? Yeah, I think this really does point to the need to have these this, this kind of a structured program. Um, we have seen re- literally over the past uh, you know decade to two decades, particularly young people in distressed communities who are having a significant challenge um, finding job opportunities. And as we look at uh, the the importance of linking uh, both uh, jobs and also people's education and also their business exposure. Uh, this is really critical for many young people in particularly distressed communities. Um, this is the only job that often they are able to apply for for various reasons. So this is this is a very important um, program. We've heard from the General Assembly that they're going to try to pass a budget, I think July 18th. What does that mean for the program? So if they were able to pass a, a, a budget that would restore some of the funding, could these students still get the jobs and be paid before school starts? So on, on one hand, uh, the clock has almost run out, and uh, we have had to notify regional programs that they've been canceled, mainly for the fact that young people um, need to know that they probably need to search elsewise for um, employment. At the same time, in Harvard, right, the program has been reduced. But if the state does come through, I'm sh- sure that we will try our hardest to figure something out. And this all comes during the summer when kids need things to be doing, um, especially in a season where uh, you see crime um, go up. And uh, that's another major, I think, issue that we see with youth employment is that it oftentimes provides opportunities to avoid negative situations. And uh, that includes you know, youth violence and other kinds of challenges that happen in, too often. And uh, the issue of poverty and uh, the need for young people for resources that often support their family, support their um, interest in going to college. All of those programs are, are really critical. And we also, you know, speaking of the state budget, I think um, the hope here is that they will indeed support this program because we have other opportunities throughout the year. So should summer, that summer time clock um, reach a point where we're into August and we're still needing to think about youth employment, there are school year, you know, opportunities beyond uh, summer to assure that young people are getting these kinds of structured work experiences linked to their education and linked to their future career pathways. Well, I want to thank Jim Boucher. He's Chief Strategic Officer at Capital Workforce Partners. Thanks for coming in today, Jim. Thank you very much. And also Kamai Harris, who was on the phone from us, a 16-year-old uh, from Bloomfield, headed into a senior year. Good luck to you, Kamai. We hope you find a job. All right. Thank you. Our show is produced by Lydia Brown and Jeff Tyson. Our technical producer is Kyan Wolf. WMPR's executive producer is Katie Tolarski. You can learn more about Where We Live at wmpr.org slash where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpithanchel. Thanks for listening.